0: Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Can you say praise the Lord? Today we have... uh... Part four of our overflow sermon series that we've been going through in the month of May. And I'm excited to share God's word. I was telling the team in pre-service prayer. First we had our espresso, then we went to pre-service prayer before service started. And uh, I said I was so excited last night that I couldn't fall asleep till 2 a.m. And uh, some of you are probably thinking I'm crazy. It's because I am. And I'm excited about what God is doing in our church. And it's, I know we're talking about a building and renovating a building, but I want you to never uh, think that it's only about this building because who meets in this building, the church, we are the church. This is the building that sometimes we refer to as the church. I'm going to church, but we are the church we are the church. And so it's important to know that as we build this place and renovate and make it brand new again from the inside out, that's a symbol of what God has done and wants to do in more and more people. And, and he's going to change people and renovate their heart from the inside out. And so that's what we're here for. That's what we are actually passionate about. That's what keeps me up till 2 a.m. That's what it is. It's a joy and an excitement. Uh, Last week, we took the focus from what we can do. And placed it on what he can do. And I know some of our youth and young adults were away. So just a little recap for you. Uh, we, we talked a lot about what we can do and how we can give and all of those things. And they're all important. But last week we said, you know what? That We have those, that message. We understand it. Let's back off now and realize what he can do. And we looked at the story of David and Goliath. And though he was a boy... He was able to slay the giant. And then today with God's help, I want to share a message with you entitled Living in the Overflow. Living in the Overflow. We've been talking a lot about overflow, uh, but I want to know how I can live in it. I want to live in the overflow, in the abundance of what God is doing in my life and in, in our church life, our family. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to 2 Kings chapter 4? And if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, 2 Kings chapter 4. And it's an incredible story of miraculous provision that we read in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you're there, shout Amen. Amen. If you're not there, just say, hold on. Okay, I heard one. No, that wasn't the instruction, Brother James. There we go. So 2 Kings chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 1 from the New Living Translation. And here's what it says. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets, your Bible might say the company of prophets or the school of prophets, came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. "...pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled." Verse 5, "...so she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. And soon every container was full to the brim, a.k.a. to the overflow. "...bring me another jar," she said, to one of her sons. "...oh, there aren't any more," he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing." And verse seven ends by saying, when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is already anointed to accomplish everything you set it out to accomplish. But now I ask for your anointing upon my mind, my heart, and Lord, my lips as I speak your word. Lord, may it be the words that you want us to hear today? Lord, I humble and I submit myself to your authority and to your Holy Spirit's leading. Speak to every heart, I pray, and challenge us to trust you for the overflow and to live in it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 of miraculous provision. You see, Elisha is not Elijah, so that's why I'm emphasizing the the sha part. Uh, He came after Elijah. And right away in his ministry, we see him performing several miracles in the beginning of 2 Kings. And so Elisha was not simply just a pious man who served God, but a man whose relationship with God was unique among the school of prophets of his time. So he was, so to speak, a leader of Prophets, there were prophets under him who looked up to him as the man of God. So he wasn't just simply religious, but he actually had a unique relationship with God. And we see that happening um, in Second Kings chapter two. There's the healing of the bad waters of Jericho, where he takes he says, bring me a new bowl, and he throws some salt in it. Walks up to the well, throws it in, and then he goes there. Now the water is good in Jericho from this well. And it it just stayed good forever. And it's an incredible thing. But that was his first miracle. And in our our text, in chapter 4, in verse 1, we find that there's this widow who, uh, who approaches him with a problem. And the problem was that she had creditors coming after her, which means that she had debt. Her husband was in this school of the prophets. And so he served under Elisha, the prophet that we're talking about. And so she must have had some kind of relationship. She must have been known by Elisha to feel comfortable to approach him. But this is her problem, is that she has debt now. And we don't know why she has debt, but we know that there's something that is about to happen. They're going to take her, two boys, from her. Um, It's important to know that it was an accepted custom in Israel, that if a family could not pay off its debt by any other means some or all of the members of the family would work as servants for the creditor, for whoever you owed money to. And actually, if you want to read a bit of context and see in the law where it says it, in Leviticus 25, verse 39 to 41, you'll see where it establishes that law, that rule. So it's not that anything is wrong. It's just she could not pay the debt. And so the risk now was the two boys were about to be taken Any mother or father in the room, you would never wish that upon your family. Firstly, that your husband would die. Secondly, uh, what what can I do? I can't afford to live and I have nothing left. And now they're after my my sons. Literally the only thing she had left. Or so we think. Verse 1. And so she goes to Elijah. She explains Elisha. She explains what's going on. And her, her situation is serious. And so she faced an even greater debt, the loss of her two boys, if now Elisha cannot help her. So this is her plight. This is where she's at. And this is basically her last resort. Elisha, I'm stuck. They're about to take my two boys. What do I do? And it's interesting in verse 2, Elisha's response What can I do to help you? It's a great question. And then immediately after, he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? Oh, Siri was answering my question about Elisha. I'm just, that's okay. It's not meant for you here, Priscilla. Turn off your phones if they're on and Siri must be listening. It's okay. She needs Jesus too. And so, without me getting distracted, Elisha, last night I I was talking to Priscilla about this particular verse. Because here she is in a dire situation. He says, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? So, what can we deduce and conclude from that question? He probably was looking and said, well, if you owe somebody money... Do you have anything in your house that you can, you know, put it on Kijiji, get money and pay back and pay your debt off? And her response to that was, there's nothing at all except for the flask of olive oil. How many of you are thankful for the oil? Amen. The oil, by the way, is a symbol of God's Holy Spirit for the church. So when you think of oil... Don't just think of how you use it to cook. Think about the Holy Spirit in your life. I might have nothing left, but hold on. I've got some oil. I've got some Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is still with me and it lives inside of me. And so that's the secret, church. You might have a debt that you can't even pay. Creditors might be knocking on your door, but don't lose hope. And I believe that question, what do you have in your house, is not really a question for us to literally go in the basement and dig out some stuff to sell. It's, what do you have here in this temple, in this house? Because the Holy Spirit is there. And as long as He's there, guess what? He's all I need. He is all I need. And He'll supply every need according to His riches in glory. So it's important to understand maybe He was saying, you know, do you have furniture? Do you have anything you could sell? And she said, All I have is this flask of olive oil. All I have is this oil. So basically, she she thought it was nothing. But I want you to know that to God, what you might think is nothing can actually be considered valuable and can actually be used to bring about God's overflow in your life. Remember, we're talking about living in the overflow. You see... Living in the overflow oftentimes starts by emptying ourselves. I have nothing left. I'm empty, Lord. Why is that important? Well, when I'm empty, He can fill me up. When there's nothing left, when the doctors cannot do anything else for you, know that Jesus can. So when you're feeling empty, when you're feeling dry and depleted, know that you're in the perfect opportunity to be a recipient of God's overflow. Why? Well, because there's nothing left to fill your life except for him. And that's why a lot of times people say, well, when I was in the valley, God found me. And he is God of the mountaintops, but he is especially God of the valley. And guess what? The only way to get to the next mountaintop is by getting through the valley. Because between two peaks is a valley. You see that? We oftentimes like to stay on one mountain and one mountain top, but that's not life. We can't just stay in one victory, which happened 20 years ago. To get to the next one, we have to walk through the valley. And God is God of the valley. And so what happens is living in the overflow is really us emptying ourselves and acknowledging, I have nothing much. I have nothing left to give. I have nothing. I'm empty. See, there was an empty house. Later on in the story, he said, get the jars. There are empty jars now. Why is that important? Because they were about to be filled. Not just one jar. Get your neighbor and your friends. Get the empty jars in your house. Shut your door. They're about to be filled till there's nothing left to the overflow. And it's the same thing with life. And we can be so full of ourselves that there's no room for God to move. That's that's the flip side of it. And that's why we always have to make sure, Lord, I empty myself of myself. I must become less so you can become greater. You see how it works? You ever try to fill? I, my son likes to pour his own milk now because he's older. Uh, he's four. And I'm like, you. it's already full. Like, how much more milk can you fit? And then, sure enough, it spills over. We cannot fit anything else in our glass or in our life. If it's already full of junk. And garbage and sin. So we have to make sure that we make room. And we get rid of those things. That will weigh us down. Slow us down. And hinder our our walk with God. But hinder the overflow in our lives. And I'm sure if I asked everyone in the room today. Said who, who here would love to live. In the overflow of God. I guarantee you every hand would come up. I'm not asking you to put your hand up. It's. Anyone who has a pure heart desires the overflow that God has. But we have to understand it's not a popular message in today's church, and we've been talking about this Friday nights with our young adults that we have to get rid of sin. Get rid of sin and let there be room in our lives for all that God has. Let us empty ourselves so that we can live in the overflow. The second thing is preparing ourselves. Number one, emptying ourselves. Number two, preparing ourselves. In verse 3, Elisha told her, go to your neighbor's house and get as many jars as you can. So in other words, prepare for the overflow. Prepare for what is about to happen. Now, I could just imagine this poor widow, like... If if there was a moment where we could take a glimpse into her mind, I wonder, did she ever think like, well, why get a bunch of empty jars in a house? If How's that going to help my situation? Right? It, it doesn't connect the dots from, hey, I need to pay money. There are, there are creditors after me. They're going to take my kids to gather some empty jars. W- what's the connection? I don't, you know, if I was her, I wouldn't probably see it right away. All she knew is I had a bit of oil and that was enough for him to say, get jars. So number two is we need to be preparing ourselves for overflow. We've emptied. We prepare. Now we make room. Borrow as many jars as you can in verse three. You have to have room enough to contain God's blessings. And that's the key part. So imagine you're praying for a a large house. You say, God, I, I want a big home detached if possible. Okay. And God says, great. Did you build the foundation? Yeah, I did. Th- it's this big. Look, but, but I want the big house. God bless me in that way. And God looks at our foundation and says, I, I can give you the big house, but that foundation can't even contain the weight of the structure that I want to place on the foundation. And it's the same thing in our lives. Is that we ask God for big things. That's okay. But do you have the foundation, the room to contain it, to hold the blessing that God pours out? Yes, we want it to overflow and touch those around us. But do we have a foundation that is prepared to receive what God has in store? Why is the foundation important? I'm not just talking about concrete here. I'm talking about your heart. The foundation is your heart. To receive God's overflow, His blessing. Why? Well, because if it's not prepared and you're not really understanding what's going on and what God wants to give you, the danger is when blessing starts to come, you're not going to give God glory. You're going to start taking the glory. That means your foundation, you weren't ready to receive all of that. And God is a just God. He is all-knowing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So you could be praying, God, give me a Ferrari. But God knows the job you have and everything you have. You couldn't even afford the oil change or the car wash. Forget the oil change. So he might say, no, I'm not going to give you a Ferrari. Why? Because the creditors are going to come after you. And then what? What was God's blessing is now, all oh, God robbed it and took it away from me? No. So we have to have room enough to contain it. Get your jars ready. Get the jars. Get the foundation ready. And and God is about to do something fantastic and incredible. John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. These are Jesus' words. I came... That they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That's the kind of life Jesus wants us to have. That's the reason why he died for you and for me. That we can have life and enjoy it to the full till it overflows. And to echo the words of, of David, the shepherd and then the king of Israel. Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6, halfway through verse 5. This is what he says. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. Let me just stop for a second. It was customary when you would walk into a house that you'd be greeted with fresh oil. Because the journey was long and hot. The sun beating on, especially a head like mine. But the oil... It was something that you would do out of courtesy for those coming in uh, to your house. You're hosting them, and that would refresh them. And so David is echoing that as he writes, You've anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and in the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful passage. But David understood something, that where there's the oil, there's also the overflow. And we need the Holy Spirit in our lives, because He's the secret ingredient to the overflow. Can somebody say amen? So we said emptying ourselves. We talked about preparing ourselves. But now we're going to talk about pouring it ourselves. Because there's something significant. See, she went to Elisha. He could have said, bring your flask to me and pour it out himself with all the jars that her and her sons gathered. But he didn't say that. He actually said, go into your house. Shut your door. Once all the jars are there, start pouring it. You, mama. You start pouring it. And it never stopped. And it continued. And it continued. So it was important that she be the one to pour the oil And not Elisha. Why? Well, because when I serve the Lord, it's not something that anyone else can do for me. It's something that I have to cultivate. I have to intentionally and willingly take the oil that has been provided. And invest it. And pour it out. And then to see it overflow from jar to jar to jar to jar. And you see, God wants to use you in that way. No one else can do it for you. No one else can actually help you. Live in the overflow. It has to be your intention to say, Lord, I desire you and nothing else. Holy Spirit, I thank you. You're the oil in my life. And I want you to overflow to the full. I've made room. I've prepared myself. And now, Lord, I pour it out myself. And here's the the best way I can put it. As you are preoccupied with God and His presence, when you spend time in His presence... That's where your cup begins to overflow. That's where your cup fills up and begins to run over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Living in the overflow. It's important to also note. In verse 5. It says this. So she did as she was told. Obedience obedience. She, she could have questioned, why do I have to grab empty jars? Why should I close my door? Why can't you do it? Elisha, you're the man of God. She did as she was told. There's something special that happens when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. With humility, we say, Lord, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand it all, but what I can do is this, I can obey. I can't obey. And literally, she had nothing to lose except maybe her two boys. And I don't know about you, but that's a huge deal. So don't minimize, well, it, obedience like she really had nothing to lose. No, no. She was going to lose all she had left, two boys, her two sons. And yet she chose to obey even without possibly even knowing how will this all work out. So in verse 5, we see her obedience even when it didn't make sense. And in verse 6, soon every container was filled to the brim. And then, when they had no more jars, it stopped. The flow of oil stopped. Now, just because the oil stopped, it doesn't mean that God was through providing for her. Why? That's probably the most important part. Of this whole story. Because she still didn't have the provision to pay the debt. The creditors that were after her. Great, I have all this oil. Now what? It stopped. What do I do? You see, though the oil stops. It's not the end of what God had planned. It was just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And it's important to see that. Deuteronomy 8.18. In the NASB says this. But you shall remember the Lord your God. Why? For it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. God gives us power to create wealth. And as I was preparing this week, preparing my heart for what we are doing today as a church, uh, in reading and preparing this message, when I read Deuteronomy 8.18, I just felt the Lord tell me to speak this over any business owners in the room that there's you've been working hard some of you have built a business and it's successful number 1 in Deuteronomy 818 but you shall remember the Lord your God so if there are any business owners or aspiring business owners listen up when when success comes remember the foundation it's prepared it was ready we give Him glory. We shall remember the Lord our God. And why? Because it is Him who gives us the power to create wealth. To, or to be successful, another translation says. So as we begin to see God's overflow, even in our workplace, in the marketplace, what God has called us to do, know this, that it's all from God. He gave us the ability I shared a story a few Sundays ago about my, my friend in Montreal who God gave her a cookie recipe. And literally, it changed her life. It brought her family together. And those cookies are one of the best things you could ever taste. Literally, God gave her that recipe. She named her company Heavenly Taste. Because, why? She's acknowledging every time someone buys it on the packaging or when she's you know, giving a business card, Heavenly Taste, it's all from Him. So he gives us the ability. So any business owners, I, I want to speak that over you. That, that God is going to be the one to cause your business to prosper. And you, as you work hard and you're diligent, God will bless and reward you. However, the condition is always remember to give him the glory. Give him the praise. Amen. So to the widow, the flow of oil stopping was a sign of the end. She's like, now what? What? But to God, it was only the beginning of the overflow. And here it comes in verse 7. Let's read it together on the screen or in your Bible. When she told the man of God what had happened, what happened? The oil stopped. He said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left over. In other words, now you and your sons can live in the overflow. You and your sons can live on the overflow. And that was the key. That was the, the, the answer that she needed. What do I do with this oil? Now sell it. Now sell it. So it's important to note that um, as she's telling Elisha, um, he gives her the answer that she's looking for. So she didn't even understand until this point. So all this oil, she still had to go and inquire from Elisha. What, Like, so what do I do? Today's not the end of overflow, it's the beginning. That's the message that comes out of our story. And for our church today, today you see the balloons and I said I would explain it, here it is. Um, We spent the whole month as a church preparing to do two specific things before we leave today. Number one is to bring our first fruits offering to the overflow campaign that that's going to be used to start construction to renovate the building and and you'll enjoy espresso before the service we're going to have a cafe and we're going to be able to use and do more things we're going to have an elevator and some of you might be super excited about the elevator so that we can have functions downstairs and everyone can participate and come without having complications or having to figure out Um, crafty ways of getting everyone comfortably downstairs. Some of you might say, hey, I heard that speaker crackling uh, this morning. I heard it too. And I shiver every time I hear it. I tweak and twitch. Um, But we're going to get a new sound system in this place with better lighting. um, And we're going to have better internet service in Jesus name. And some of you might get excited about that. I know I work here every day, almost of the week. It's very frustrating, Spencer, you can back me up, uh, when, when we sit here and the internet doesn't work well. Uh, some of you might get excited because we're getting a digital sign and people won't have to walk up to here saying, is this a banquet hall or what is this? Uh, no, it's a church actually and we love we love you and we're glad that you actually are, are asking because this place is for you. And so there are many things that we can all get excited about, but today is not the end, of overflow. Although we've come, number one, to give our first fruits offering and to make our, our commitment, our pledge. And we're going to do that in a moment. But today is not the end of all of that. When we give and when we go home, please know that this is the beginning of overflow. This is just the beginning of what God wants to do in our church, but through our church. Because it, why? It's, it's not about A transaction, it's not about what we want from you, it's about what we want for people, for you. It's not about transaction, it's about life transformation. That's the heart of overflow. Why? Because in our story, out of the overflow, her life was changed from the inside out. She had nothing left. She was going to lose her sons, and when overflow came, she had all that she needed to live in the overflow of God for her life. And I want that for every single one of you, for your families, not just for this generation, but for every single generation that comes under us until the Lord's return in Jesus' name. Our church is committed to preaching the word of God unashamedly, because this is the power of God unto salvation. And so we don't preach man's opinion, we preach God's word. And so uh, it's about life change. We've coined today Commitment Sunday. And we're inviting everyone, not to equal giving, but to equal sacrifice. That we may see an overflow of people reached with the good news of the gospel. Uh, Again, some of you might get excited about different things, and that's okay. Um, Although it starts right here, the vision is way beyond the walls of this building. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.